I've never taken a business risk in my life. You know, I'd moved on. I'd recognised my weaknesses, as you do in business. You recognise your weaknesses and you address them. Find hacks to get to the answer, get to where everybody else was. In this episode, I speak to Theo Pafitis, Dragon's Den star and champion for small business through his Small Business Sunday initiative. We learn from how he overcome and found hacks and works around within education and business for dyslexia, growing and selling his first business that led to the acquisition of Ryman, which he's very well known for, and his time at Millwall Football Club. My name's Richard Osborne, and this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, you're obviously somebody uh, I've been aware of right from the very beginning of Dragon's Den when I a, a follower of Dragon's Den um, and where I think a lot of people got um, it, sort of the public got introduced to you one of the things which I think is really important is focusing an education on the individuals and that resonates with those individuals themselves uh, in an engaging way um, a question something I would like to mention is for example we know because we did some research into this that 10,000 16 to 17 year olds every year uh, start their own businesses and when you think about the age of those 16 and 17 they have not gone through any education aspect of what it's like to start their own business and they've been through an institution that is, that talks and teaches people how to memorize for exams as opposed to teaches them how to run a business or how to do what they're doing how do you feel about that i suppose would be your first question and if you were thinking about sort of education itself and the impact it had on you uh, and the difference you've how you've developed in your life what how would it have impacted yourself when learning at an earlier age or about business itself at say in your teenage years programs like dragons den and the apprentice but very much dragons den in my humble view have done more over the past i don't know how many years it's been going for now um could be near 20 years gosh I mean, two, four, two, four. Yeah, we must be we must be 18 years or something like that have done more to explain and teach business to the public and especially youngsters than any school has and if I was even bolder I'd go than most universities apart from applied economics which was not was not never it was not was never our job, uh, but certainly commerce and business, the generality of running a business and entrepreneurism. Now, entrepreneurism wasn't a word that was used as a career. You know, you didn't say when your careers teacher saw you at school if you had one, and you had your five minutes with the she gave she gave he or she gave you a couple of brochures, and sent you on your way. And if you were asked, what is it you want to do? No one turned around and said, oh yes, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. Um, it wasn't a career. It wasn't something that was recognized as a proper 
career path. Although, there was millions of people out there doing exactly that. And, and the fact that 50% of all small businesses failed in the first couple of years, uh, might be a few percent lower, but I generalise most things, it's there or the right, says it all. The fact that businesses don't survive, but those people that fail in the first uh, venture, don't necessarily fail in the next venture or their third venture, and eventually many of them go on to have successful businesses. But what a painful way to learn how to be an entrepreneur, how to be creative in business, how to create a business, how to be a founder, how to put your idea in practice. What are the things I need to know? And what if I don't know those things? What could possibly go wrong? Because my enthusiasm for and my passion surely will get me through everything. No, it won't. It'll get you a long way, but it won't get you through everything. So Dragon's Den has, has definitely lifted the lid on so many things uh, as far as business and youngsters. And even in my day when I did Dragon's Den for just over eight years, my mailbag, vast majority was from uh, school kids, university uh, kids, people who are just starting. They're the ones that were hungry for the information, hungry for the knowledge, wanted to know. And you ask yourself, well, why, come, why don't they know? The, um, I'm going to jump ahead of some of my notes here because as we're mentioning in Dragon's Den, I think something which uh, some people listening to this um, and I see these questions on UKBF as well when people are looking for investment. Uh, you uh, previously, uh, and you quoted the first season of Dragon's Den changing your mind about this, uh, but what you came to was you'd rather invest in a, a great person, my words, uh, with an okay idea than some, an okay person with a great idea. Why is that? Because as we constantly had to explain to people very early doors in Dragon's Den, this is not uh, a Saturday night quiz show where you win a prize and you walk away with a prize. Uh, we as Dragons, we're never gonna go and run your business for you. We can't, we've got our own businesses, our own lives. We're there to invest and mentor to a level and guide and maybe open our contact book as required but we're never going to run your business sadly in the early years people got an investment and actually thought they'd been on a on a on a saturday evening quiz show spun the wheel of fortune and had walked away with a prize and that was it you know somebody one of the dragons now has put money in and they're going to go and run your business for you and you can put your feet up and have a cigar and we had a few failures on the back of that and it became very clear that we had to make that point absolutely undoubted in their minds that they hadn't won a prize they'd won an opportunity to accelerate and a higher chance of success their business or business idea uh, I'd love to, uh, what I'd like to do is sort of move back to 
your journey that took you to where you are now. And one of the things that I thought was, and I can't think of any other word to use other than lovely, <clears throat> is that you met Mrs. P at your first job. Nothing lovely um, about Mrs. P. <coughs> oh my gosh, if she heard, she could only hear you, she'd be your biggest fan. The, um, well, just in case she hears it, then I'll say it again, it sounded lovely. The, uh, but what I'd like to ask is, um, because what I want to get to understand is how you feel and your mindset during the journey as you're moving towards Ryman and the buying Ryman. The, so at that early stage, you, your first career was effectively a government funded scheme. Um, now for me, I don't know if it's the same because mine was YTS. I don't know if it was the same scheme YTS, but that was my first I'm obviously job. a lot, lot older than you. Uh, couple of years my mind was very simple the government of the day said look if you hire somebody who hasn't had a job before because there's a lot of school leavers on the dole there's no jobs we're talking now in the mid 70s there was lots of unemployment and lots of people on the dole um, especially youngsters who couldn't get a job and they gave an incentive and said look if you hire a youngster under the age of blob who hasn't had a job before we will give you an allowance against your tax of 1500 pounds per annum yeah. that's not a month per annum and that's effectively what your salary was for it's that exactly what it was there. so all of a sudden yeah. all these jobs appeared at 1500 quid um and most of them were uh, really just to be skivvies, uh, tea boys. You know, just people say, well, why don't we take someone on? It's free money. It's a free employee. Uh, and most of them died after the first year, sadly, because once they needed to start paying and then paying a, a proper salary, people will let go. So it was good. Yeah, so it was good to get people. Well, yeah, I mean, in fairness, they, they did say at the time, they didn't know how they're gonna cope without me, but they're gonna try. Um, now, in, in fairness, I could have stayed. I could have stayed, but there was no job. Um, there was no proper job. There was no proper career progression. Um, it was probably the wrong job for me in the first place. Um, I was a sort of assistant to the tea stirrer and filing clerk. So my job was to come in the morning, get all the telexes off the telex machine, uh, cut them into little strips, glue them on, the, on an A4 piece of paper, distribute them to the brokers where all, all they were due for. So they're going to, it was Lloyds of London brokerage. So they would then go walk across London Bridge, go to Lloyds of London, place the risk, it's an insurance risk, um, and make them their tea, go and get their, their uh, dry cleaning, anything else that they needed. And when, I, when they went to Lloyds of London to do place the risks, I'd have to take out the files, bring out, do the filing from yesterday's work, bring out the new files that were required for open new files, now, tea I was very good at. Running errands, 
I was very good at having conversation with them and being likeable I was good at sadly my issues at school came to the fore quite clearly when it came to filing with filing yeah. I was a dyslexic filing clerk it's like having the one arm dishwasher in the restaurants of the old days You're, you've got a challenge so files were always a bit tricky to find so how did when you're um, when you're a young person you've just left school you're trying to find a job and from what I um, understand sending like 100 CVs out covering letters as somebody who was dis uh, say was is dyslexic and um, not getting the interviews not getting the jobs you you then get given a job to then let go uh, but but to be to be honest with you at the, at the time when I was sending all those letters out applications for jobs because no there was no email or faxes or anything there. it was all with envelope and a, a stamp and you could call up for a, a, an application form and send it to you and fill it up or you'd send a letter in asking for an application form and I just didn't get it I couldn't understand why nobody would employ me I was expecting to be snapped up in my own little mind of course with hindsight if I had received the application forms filled in the way I probably filled them in or the letters the way I, I, I sent the letters I probably wouldn't give me the job either um, there was no support there was no support to actually help me get a job and show me how to fill an application properly you know and realize that I had you know, the spelling was shocking and the handwriting was shocking and it wasn't I wasn't putting my best foot forward when you're in that position uh, you're expected to get what was your um, I suppose ambition or um, motivation how was how was you feeling at that time um, at the very beginning of your career ladder well myself my self-esteem was on the floor so I'd gone from a confident youngster to actually having zero self-esteem and confidence because nobody would give me a job but I'd reached a stage where quite frankly I would have taken any job you could have offered me a job in a sewer I would have taken it so when I took the job as a filing clerk assistant to the tea stirrer my god I thought I'd arrived because I was so happy to get a job any job with the added bonus that Mrs P was there well that that, that was that, that, that <laughs> obviously I didn't expect uh, except um, I'd met her at the interview and um, she was obviously took one look at me and thought he's a catch and um, gave me the fluttering eyelashes and um, we were going to conversation obviously on my first day I said hello do you remember me um, and uh, it, well, it, it, it didn't take long it didn't take long she um, I, I fell for her charms and she humoured me 
and uh, <laughs> before, before before I knew it, we, we were in Item. The um, your next, you then move from there, and there's I'm going to put the sort of next two steps closely together, okay. um, uh, where you became a salesperson for selling watches which you was there for a period of time and my interpretation there is if i'm if i'm putting words in your mouth and making the right assumption you move towards sales there yeah. using and that, uh, and that, natural sales ability and that, and that really was where i should have always been right so yeah. you know as i said to you I, took, I was happy to take any job i needed a job uh, but yeah. finding my first job in retail uh, was like even on the first day I just knew I'd arrived unlike my previous job where I thought getting up in the morning was painful I couldn't wait to get in I'd be happy to work a six-day week you know and get the overtime I'd happy to go in early or stay late it didn't really matter it, you know the stars were aligned I was getting rewarded for the extra effort and I was enjoying it. And surprisingly, when you're passionate and you're enjoying something and get rewarded accordingly, you invariably become good at it. Um, and dealing with the public was something I, I really enjoyed doing. And I, my love for watches really came from there and it stayed with me all my life. And my love for retail came from there. And that was working for watches of Switzerland in um, Old Bond Street, as it was then in the corner. Yeah, and then uh, a friend of the family or somebody you knew came in and um, provided you with the next opportunity, uh, which if I if my research is correct, also gave you the opportunity to get a mortgage and get on the property ladder and take your first home as well. Yeah, I, I joined insurance, uh, left insurance, so basically uh, selling insurance, if you like to say it, or similar. Um, you, in those days you had brokers and you'd go around and you'd service your brokers and they'd put, they'd put uh, the business with your, um, with your company. It gave me a company car, which uh, was uh, a 1.3 Vauxhall Chevette, uh, but it, it was a rust colored, orangey sort of brown color um which i thought was like oh wow uh working for an insurance company in those days or a bank you got subsidized mortgages mortgage rates were like 10 percent, and you were paying like two percent so you could afford to buy a house um so again i was using the skills that i had to move into a different career path using the same skills and now I'm in a more, com I've got a career path that I'm more comfortable with. Uh, and whilst I still had the same difficulties, uh, I was able to recognize those difficulties as I matured and understood, deal with some of them. For instance, when I worked in the insurance brokerage, uh, my, my first job as a the filing clerk, assistant tea boy to the uh, tea stirrer, um, if you, as I came out the station, uh, London Bridge Station, um, just uh, near the office, there was a Ryman Stationers in Borough High Street. And I walked into Ryman Stationers and with my first paycheck, with my second, because I still had a Saturday and Sunday job 
working in the Wimpy Bar. Yeah. I couldn't let that go because I, I was earning so little money. I needed a Saturday and Sunday job at the Wimpy Bar as well. But I spent a few quid on uh, a calligraphy set. So with an italic pen and nibs and some card ink cartridges. Um, and I retaught myself to write in a very nice, neat way. I also got given, uh, a few months afterwards, um, a diary, a, a, a dictionary, a little pocket dictionary purchased from Ryman in Borough High Street um, by uh, Mrs. P, uh, who realised that I couldn't spell for toffees. And she said, I've bought you this. She wrote in the insert, I've still got it, it's in my study at home. She wrote in the insert, she said, keep it, it's only a small little thing, but it's a dictionary, keep it in your pocket at all times. To never leave the house without it. So I've now learned to write properly, neatly, and I've realised I can't spell for toffees, and it's mostly a weakness of mine. And I've got a dictionary in my pocket, so every time I've got to write something, if I need to look up a word, nine times out of ten I'll find it, but if I can't, sometimes I have to choose a different word because I can't get close enough to the spelling to find it in the dictionary. <laughs> there was no autocorrect. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'd moved on. I'd recognise my weaknesses, as you do in business. You recognise your weaknesses and you address them. And once you start addressing your weaknesses, you become stronger. So I'm in the right career path and I'm addressing some of my issues. Yeah. And as you... and this um, comes across to me as quite a big sort of milestone in your career path as you reach this point. <coughs> the, how did, so at that point you've, you've had this um, moment in your life, this moment in your career where you're identifying these areas that uh, you know, weaknesses and addressing them your career, your life, and you're making a home, you're reaching that stage in life. It then, the uh, whirlwind is coming to mind here, really, to the point that leads, what are the key milestones, I suppose, towards the point where rhyme and, uh, and that actually came into the picture? Oh, that was much, much later. That's mid-90s. I mean, you, you, you've moved on quite a bit. Uh, don't forget, we're talking, we started off in the mid-70s, and then we go to the mid-90s, that's a 20-year span. Um, but being in the right career path, using my, my skill sets, identifying my weaknesses, uh, also you start identifying your strengths. And being dyslexic all the way through school, you're having to problem solve. Well, every dyslexic I know say the same thing. You can't do things the same way as everyone else. That doesn't mean you're stupid or you're thick, right? You're certainly as bright, if not brighter than others, but you can't take in, absorb that information and store it on your hard disk the same way as other people can, and then make that recall. So you spend your life learning how to problem solve, how to get round those difficulties, how to be normal, how to be like everyone else. And even in the classroom, you know, so I would be in a maths class, I'd 
might be doing algebra, algebra or something else. Um, but I, I couldn't take in the way to approach a formula, a way to approach something. But you know what? I've determined and I've found my own way. Found my own way to remember things, my own way to deal with things, workarounds, cheats, hacks now. I call them cheats, they'll be called hacks now. Find hacks to get to the answer, get to where everybody else was. Problem with that, it normally took you that little bit longer. But as you practiced and practiced and practiced, you could practically get up to speed with everybody else. But believe you me, you're doing it totally in a different way. Nothing like the teacher taught you. You found your own solutions. And that problem solving really is where that was the next strength I was able to identify in myself, but not by just literally consciously saying, oh, I'm a good problem solver. I was able to actually see it in practice, as in my working life. I would you know, subconsciously solve issues and problems as part of my job. And, and that gave me the strength to actually look at businesses and understand businesses and solve problems within businesses. So um, what doors did that open up then for you at that, uh, in those early years? It, 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 it allowed me again to move away from working for somebody else to set up my own business um, in commercial finance to um, identify difficult businesses that needed help I could add something to um, and you know that that problem solving is what then allowed me to get into business properly that's the wrong word properly but it, it, into a, a more structured way because my first business was myself and um, a partner and assistant he left shortly afterwards still a great friend of mine Michael McCrodden in our door um, but he, I was just left with um, Joe uh, our assistant so um, I, I always joke about one man and a dog and I used to always get a, a punch in the face uh, but we, we had a very tiny little business it was two people um, and um, but we were able again uh, to start learning about business understanding business the more structured and how the, the management of businesses the solving of problems in businesses Okay. And and how how long was that business running for? And sort of what was what was that journey like? Oh, that, that journey again was was roller coaster. It it was going into the unknown. Most people, you know, from my period, did really go into the unknown. There's no need for it now. That's what I'm saying. The education means you don't have to go into the unknown, but we did. So our chance of failure was much much higher. But I was fortunate. So I, was, I, I saw some success. I was able to sell that business into another business very quickly within a few years, to be, run that, the new business, grow that, see new opportunities in bigger businesses. So, you know, that, so my education was from the University of Life in Business, but it doesn't have to be like that. And what we need is entrepreneurism education. Um, it doesn't all have to be done in the classroom it can be done in a practice and then we need to make sure that we have support for small businesses um, within the 
business community, the economic community. Um, these are all very, very important. Um, and is this why um, I'm the I'm chopping and changing? I've got I've got notes here on a SBS pad. Yeah, I thought we liked <laughs> from <this. clears throat> the um, and um, I'm were, chopping were and changing the, the gender as we're talking. Were you there? For was the, yes. Oh, excellent. Okay, we, we know what yeah. goes on there. So SBS, yeah. yeah, Small Business Sunday, and and it all came from Twitter. And one yeah. day, basically, um, someone said, "You've got to go on Twitter." I think it was while we're filming Dragons Den. So myself and Peter and Duncan got ourselves on Twitter and I've, by the weekend I had like 50,000 followers I thought blimey this is amazing you know I had 50,000 people want to hang on my word are interested in what I say and on a, when I did uh, have my own small business uh, every Sunday night we'd bath the kids get the kids to bed on a Sunday night go like every other you know, uh, uh, mother and father that trying to run a business, and you'll go. <sighs> now the kids are in bed. Now I've got to think about work. Um, so you know, so Sunday night would be where I, I'd want to hit the ground running on a Monday. So once the kids went to bed, I needed a couple of hours, two or three hours in my study. Or study. I didn't have a study. No, it was a kitchen table, right? Later on, I had a study, but. Um, so the kitchen table and start planning for Monday. I want to hit the ground on Monday morning running. I want to be ready. I want to take on the world. Um, and it was a great time. And one of the things that you, I always found difficult, not difficult, everybody does, was marketing, um, looking for new prospects, looking for new business, and, and expensive. And then it occurred to me, this, this tool I had in my hand, the, the new mobile phone, there was 50,000 people there. They'd had, fight had in the day. Um, I probably, they probably wouldn't understand the word I was typing out, mind you, my dyslexia, but if I'd had, without autocorrection, but if I'd had in the day, I could market to those people. And I thought, what a valuable tool for small businesses. Um, and I was talking to Mrs. P about it. And I said, I've had an idea. And then she was doing her chores and all her bits and pieces. And she said, what's that? I said. I'm going to tweet uh, out there and just ask for six six businesses to let me have details of their business and I'm going to retweet them to 50,000 potential customers. She said, that's a good idea. Um, so I started, did the first, and that was on a Sunday night, and I did the first unplanned tweet saying, um, if you tweet me your business, your business I'll retweet it I'll choose six and retweet the best six my god it went bing 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 went nuts and it took us hours it took me and me and Miss Peter hours and hours to go through them and decide which six to retweet so we did it following Sunday I forgot all about it and all of a sudden ping 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 people started doing it the following Sunday and it became got a laugh on its own. Then I'd say, oh, hold on, guys. We did it. But I said, we'd have to limit it between 5 and 7.30. Because then that, that suited my time, but, you know, my, my time. And so that's when, that's over 10 years ago. Uh, when we started in 2010. God, it's 13 years ago. Um, and from then onwards, every Sunday, between 5 and 7.30, 
if you tweet me your small business go through it and we retweet our best six you then become an SBS winner you get access to the website self-help tools a whole community co uh, conferences that we have annually every year small local uh, more, uh, more local ones as well that, that uh, self-generated by uh, SBS winners um, and you know that all the tools and help that you need in, in in helping you along the way in your small business and that's how SBS started and 13 years later you know we've got probably 3,700 winners uh, and now of course we tweet we tweet the winners on a Monday night because it takes too long to do it on a Sunday I'll tell you what I'd um, there's a, a couple of things I want to mention about that but the first one is the, the statement really which I I would say is a really valuable business lesson for anybody as well is how you've persisted at it from originally starting getting you know ironing out the teething bits getting a window where it sticks and the process but you've stuck at it and been consistent with it uh, which I think is well I admire, admire that you know hats off to you um, and also is a valuable business lesson generally uh, if you're going to do something be consistent with it as long as it's good um, because it's got a life of its own and as UKBF SBS winners we were at the conference and the atmosphere in the room was phenomenal um, I went along uh, the because you know UKBF I started 20 years ago um, sat on my kitchen table um, <clears throat> 40 grand in debt with three credit cards and a bank loan um, thinking my how am I keeping my business afloat I can't be the only person put something online it is what it is now and we've got 330,000 members and I'm able to um, support these people but it's about being consistent and I remember going around the SBS conference thinking this is the buzz I could feel the energy in the room of the support and everything that is there so um, without a doubt as this podcast goes out we'll be you know I'd encourage anybody listening to this to um, get on Twitter get on Instagram uh, Sunday evenings six o'clock um, and take part because I was genuinely wowed by what I saw and what it is that you do well it, it's the thing is being running your own business can sometimes especially small business can be incredibly lonely it can it doesn't matter how much passion you've got you know we all have difficulties reversals things that you know get us down and the great thing about being part of the SBS community you can reach out to other uh, other SBS winners in a similar uh, industry or different industry but when when you're finding difficult somebody else is doing well and they can help you along the way you've got something to discuss and we don't charge it's, it's I, I, I'm very fortunate now I funded it for the first like six seven years and then now we're able maybe a bit longer we're able now to make it self-funding because we've got some great sponsors as well so we don't have to charge anybody to actually get involved but it's that extra support that we all need and ideas and when we get the comp when we do the main conference in Birmingham you're right it's electric everybody's hanging looking for that next idea talking to other SBS winners people are presenting on the stage all the side events that are going on and 
you know, it's a boost for the rest of the year. And, and you get ideas and plans. And that's why many of them return year in, year out. And we have different speakers, d different workshops, and there's something to be learned. And this is not a government funded opportunity. It's not a paid for opportunity. It's just exclusively for SBS uh, winners and, and the great sponsors that we've, been, we've managed to attract to make it happen every year. Yeah. I'd like to ask you a question, but you just mentioned where you had your, uh, you grew your business, your finance business and sold that, went on to run for, you'd, you'd built up to a comfortable style and you had, I'm cutting out, I appreciate a chunk of years here. One thing which, when it reached a point for you to buy Ryman, everybody was telling you not to do it. Huge risk. Uh, the, uh, but despite one would say that advice, you went and head and you still did. Now history paints a very good picture. It's all the right decision to do. But when you've got the naysayers around you, that's probably an unfair term to use perhaps, but you've got people painting the risks in front of you, uh, but you still had that determination to make that step and make that acquisition and put a lot of risk into it why did you still do that listen uh, I, I wasn't being silly and I wasn't being uh, disrespectful when people were saying they didn't think it was a good idea to finance because I had to raise money and that wasn't a risk they were prepared to take I understood the business I clearly had a plan and you know you must always listen but at the end of the day, to address the issues and what are the objections. And you're going back to your sales training. You know, if it's got an objection, you've got to deal with the objection. You can't just ignore it. You can't go, la, 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 I'm still going to do it. La, 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 I'm still going to do it. That's not how it works. You know, you need to listen. And I felt that at each stage, I'd given a very good and fair explanation to deal with the risks that people uh, thought were there and the issues and how I was going to be dealing with them. Now, it's fair to say, it's one thing to say, how are you going to deal with them theoretically and actually then executing that. But I, I had full confidence in my ability to execute. I, I didn't, it wasn't just, conf it wasn't just, you know, taking a flyer. I knew what I needed to do and I knew if I had to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week to execute it, I knew I could and how I would do it. Uh, and I, I had, we talk about Dragon's Den, but I had a business plan that was about this thick with three-year projections and the whole works on what was going to happen, how it was going to happen. In fact, you could argue it put people off because it was too detailed. And they thought, this guy's never going to deliver this. Is it fair to say you listened to the objections and the challenges that people were putting forward and you satisfied yourself that you had covered them off to the point of either turning them around 
or if they weren't going to turn around you, you accepted that as far as you was concerned those risks were addressed yeah and there were some things that I, I felt actually was sweating the small stuff it wasn't necessary it was important to them but it really wasn't important to me in running the business I didn't need it to be important to me it was sweating the small stuff and the key stuff is really where we need to focus on and at, at, at some stage you you have to leave some stuff on the table so you, you can't deal with everything day one and yes this is not dealt with and we might not deal with it for a year, two years, but we can live with it and it has to be dealt with, but it's not on the priority list of taking a company that was hemorrhaging and stabilizing it because that was the first job was to stabilize. I couldn't promise everything day one. It was stabilized year one, year two, the growth strategy year three you know you've delivered it but the most important part was that everybody should keep in mind is you had a clear business plan indeed and I think that that without that I would have been foolish and I've never ever done anything without sitting there listen I'm not a gambler I've never taken a business risk in my life I've taken a calculated business risk that's a big difference to taking a risk. The, I've got two last questions, if I can. Um, one, uh, first one is, is there a moment where you've stepped back and, has been, and you've sort of looked at a round of what you have created in wet, whatever that might be, um, and been one of your proudest moments? Uh, I never do that, ever. Why would that be? Makes me feel very uncomfortable. There. The, um, it's... Very simply because you could lose it. You still have that fear. I'd argue you don't have, you can still be humble but feel proud in your achievements. Um, Yes, and my dear old mum before she passed away was incredibly proud. Um, and you say about being proud. There's lots of things I'm proud of. But do I... I am, I'm a terrible uh, taskmaster to myself. I, I, I have never, ever got to a point where... I've complimented myself or been happy with my performance. Ever. Um, any, um, is, are you, is there a conscious reason behind that? It's nothing I've sat down to plan, nothing that I've sat down to work to, to do. I just, I've never ever been a hundred percent, even when I've done well it's always I could have done better that probably leads into what my second question was which is the title of the podcast really the um, what drives people who run their own business changes involves over time from what what was your motivation to driver in the early years will be different now I heard you say that you don't 
count the money it's just it's just a barometer <clears throat> the so what is your drive that makes you be a hard taskmaster for yourself now and keeps you doing what you're doing because some could argue you could retire now if you want it yeah mrs mrs pr mrs pr gives it all the time uh, and i said well we'd probably get divorced if i retired uh, if i was under your feet all the time um uh, quite quite honestly i think it goes back to those days at school if you self-analyze which is always a difficult one to do where i had had to work harder than everybody else i had to find those workarounds um and yes initially everything i worked for was to make money and give my family the things that i never had but they get to the stage where as you quite rightly say you can afford to do that and hang your boots up but if you're passionate love what you do enjoy what you do people retire to do what they enjoy well i'm already doing it so why am i going to retire um i'm already fortunate enough to i've had so many different types of careers i've been involved in football i've been on so many different things that i've done in my life i've just come been on tv show you know it's i've done so many things i haven't had one nine to five career path and each time i'm excited i'm freshening it up i'm doing something new i'm out of my comfort zone i love being out of my comfort zone i love thinking this is a challenge um you know doing the same thing over and over again you're right i get bored so yeah i'll do this until my health says otherwise i suppose absolutely theo you've been very generous with your time thank you very much for speaking with me today and the uh, i'm looking forward to getting um this out and spreading the word as well for those listening to enter sbs um on a sunday because speaking as somebody who's fortunate enough to have won sbs uh, small business sunday uh it's a great resource thank you excellent richard it's a pleasure i hope you enjoyed this interview uh, please remember to hit follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. It really helps the algorithm and push this podcast up through the rankings and also leave some feedback. I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Drive. Until next time, this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF.